0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: The best is yet to come! All right, everyone, what is going on? How you doing? What's up? Episode 250, Milestone Episode 250, Talking Buffalo Podcast. Thank you to everybody out there, as always, for continuing to listen, download, support the show. Really means a lot to me. Truly does. If you have not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do that right now. And like I said, Episode 250, a milestone for me, a milestone for this podcast Just want to say how happy I am and how blessed I am that I get to keep doing this. 250 times now I've gotten behind this microphone or another microphone and uh, dropped a podcast. It's been so much fun, a real blessing. And of course, I do it because you guys continue to listen. It means a lot to me. It does so much. I'm going to have Sal Capaccio coming on in just a couple of minutes. And Sal Capaccio is... My guy, man, he's my guest, the first guest I ever had on in the history of this podcast ever. And 250 episodes later, got him out again. So I'm looking forward to talking to him. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm just I kind of get, um, I don't want to say emotional, but I definitely get reflective when it comes to stuff like this. And to have 250 episodes out now, it's uh, just it sends me back, man. And I remember a lot of these episodes where it was maybe me pretty much shitting myself before interviewing some of the biggest guests that I've ever had on people like Adam Schefter and Lee Steinberg, uh, Josina Anderson, Richard Dice. Those are a couple that I can remember where I was. I was uh trying to shit my pants, man. I was nervous. Not going to lie about it. Hopefully those interviews turned out well though. But anyway, you know, episodes like that, I've had through these first 250 episodes, a chance to go back and relive my golden era of being a Buffalo Bills fan when I was younger. Uh, I've had conversations on the show with people like Don Beebe and Steve Christie and Will Wolford. Uh, I've been very blessed and fortunate to be able to get back to my hometown of Buffalo, take the show on the road, so to speak. I've done live shows with Sal Capaccio, who again, I'll be talking to in just a couple of minutes today. I've had shows with Eric Wood, uh, shows with people like Tim Graham and Joe Biscaglia and Mike Harrington and Matt Perino, uh, Joe Yurden. That's always fun to be able to do. Unfortunately, I didn't get to do that this year because of COVID, but who knows? And again, kind of spoiling my chat a little bit with Sal coming up. Maybe I'll be back in Buffalo a year from now permanently and those uh, road shows won't really be road shows anymore. But anyway, I've done those and I've had a great opportunity to develop some relationships with some Buffalo Bills podcasters, man. They do such a great job. And I've become really fond of these guys. I've had them on my show several times. Uh, Bruce Nolan. I think Bruce, and I've said this many times, I think he's literally as good as anybody out there when it comes to talking Bills, mainstream or otherwise. Uh Greg Thompson from Cover One's done this show plenty of times. Developed a good friendship with him. Joe Marino locked on Bills. He's another great guy. Uh just recently. I've become a fan of Joe Miller from Buffalo Fanatics. I think he does a great job. So anyway, these are podcasters that talk bills that I've been able to develop relationships with, man. I, I like these people a lot. And like I said, I'm just I'm I'm blown away. I just I get reflective when I reached these quote-unquote milestone episodes, and that's just how I'm feeling right now, non-sports guest. I had, in fact, just recently, Madison Carter was uh, did an hour interview with her, and all I kept thinking in my mind while we're talking, I'm like, she's going to be on the world news someday. I promise you that. I mean, I love Madison Carter. I'm so happy that she's in Buffalo. She's doing iconically good work with the news, but I could see her at CNN someday. It just, it's going to happen. I'm telling you that right now. Anyway, you know, not to toot my own horn here, but I mean, truth be told, I've been able to sit down with the best of the best on this podcast and there's not a lot of people out there that can say that. And circling back to Sal, best of the best, that's Sal Capaccio to me. It really is. I and mean, I'm not just saying that either. Sal is, forget the talent aspect. We all know what a good job he does covering the bills for WGR. We already know that, but I'm telling you from personal experience, sales one of the true good people in the Buffalo sports media, and I'm talking on and off camera. You know, I'm never going to throw anybody under the bus, but I'm not going to lie to people either. There's, I don't want to say plenty, but there are people in the sports media. I'm sure not just Buffalo, but all over the place who, you know, when that camera's on, when that microphone's on, they're as friendly as can be. They're personable, they're charming, charismatic. But when that stop button hits or that camera turns off, they ain't the same people, I promise you that. That's not Sal Capaccio, man. Sal is a very down-to-earth good dude, man. Really is the kind of guy that you could talk sports with, the kind of guy you could have a beer with, just the kind of guy to shoot the shit with. And I've always respected it about him. He's a grassroots kind of guy, man. He built himself... The old school way, man, message boards, doing the little things, blogging in mommy's basement, having a, a video show. He did a podcast, by the way. He was doing podcasts back before there was a such a podcast, man. I have all the respect in the world for Sal. And like I said, I kind of pull him out when I have meaningful episodes. When I first started this podcast, I've told this story before. He was literally the first person I went to. I said, Sal, I want to do this podcast. At the time it was analytics podcast. And I want you to be my first guest. I want to come right out the gates with a, with a guest who's going to, frankly, give me credibility. Took him two seconds to agree to that. So I've had him on the first episode. Had him on when I did my one-year anniversary episode. Uh, he was the first person I did the Wings Wit series last summer in Buffalo. And uh, he's back today because it's episode 250. It's meaningful. At least it's meaningful to me anyway. So, um, you know, I'm not going to give the chat away here. But I just promise you this, as always, it's a good one with Sale. And by the way, we do an Ask Sale segment segment at the end. And readers and listeners from Facebook and Twitter submitted some questions. And there's some good ones, but I got to tease this at least. <laughs> Sal tells a story about an experience with ESPN Radio. That alone is worth this entire episode listening to. I promise you that. So let's just get right down to it, man. Here it is, episode 250. My chat with Sal Capaccio. All right, my special guest today on episode 250, also the very first guest I've ever had on this podcast, all the way back episode one. Uh, I was also my guest on my one-year anniversary episode, uh, also my first of my Wings Wit series that I did with him. Last summer, so I only save them for the special occasions. Sal Capaccio, what's up, man? How you doing?
0: I'm good. I'm good. So, what do I have to be prepared for now? Episode 500, maybe next or 300? <laughs> no, what are we? What are we looking at? The Christmas Day episode? I don't know what it's
1: <laughs> I hope so, man. I hope so. Uh, so, check it out. Last time I had you on, we were at O'Neill's. I'm going to talk about that in a second. We did a Ask Sale um, segment where some fans from Facebook and Twitter sent you some questions. I thought that was fun. So we're going to do that again. Coming up a little bit later. Um. Before that though, so last time we did talk, again, let's rewind about 13 months ago or so, we hooked up at O'Neill's. Of course, that's right across from the stadium. We had some wings. Uh, your lovely wife was there. Max was there. We sat on the patio, taped a fun podcast that evening. Some people, you know, trickling in and out, peeking at us, seeing what was going on. Uh, it was fun, man, but it's just, it's pretty remarkable when you think about it and sad and scary. You know, how much this world has changed just since that last meeting, ain't it?
0: It's been incredible. really has. Um, So last night, uh, it's actually one of the first nights that I've kind of gone out uh, in any capacity with friends to places. I've gone with my family. We've gone out to restaurants. You know, we, we go through the protocols and the social distancing, the mask, you get there and, you know, things like that. So we've done that since restaurants have been open. But last night was the first time. And it was actually because it was Marcel Louis Jacques' birthday recently. So. You know he's the ESPN beat reporter for the Bills. In case people don't know, but um, it was myself, Marcel, Matt Perino, uh, Ashley Holder, who just uh, came aboard at Channel Two recently, and John Scott from Spectrum. And um, there were a couple other people invited, but you know they couldn't make it. But we went out last night to a place downtown, and I thought this. I'm like, man, it's just weird just to be out at a place, and I I wondered how it would look. It wasn't that busy. It filled up a little bit as the night went on, but then I just kept thinking about what you just said, which is man, like in a normal situation, it would probably be, there was, you know, basketball games on, there was a game seven going on. I was watching the Yankees. There were lots of TVs and games, and it was just kind of eerie to think about the difference in the stark contrast of where we used to be.
1: For sure. And I'll tell you, I mean, obviously Florida and and New York are quite different in philosophies with the governor and what's open and what's not and stuff like that. But does it get a little confusing to you right now? Like what is protocol when you see somebody, whether it's a fan who recognizes you right. or one of your sports media buddies, a friend who's not in the business, whatever, when you see them, you know, you get confused. It's shake their hand, you know, quick little hugging it out, stuff like that, that you're just, your body's just naturally used to, your mind's trained to, and you got to think twice. Like I get awkwardly confused all the time right now when I see people like fist bump, elbow yep. bump, shaking hands. It's uh, <laughs> it's definitely, it's a big adjustment. It's nuts, man. We had a
0: mattress delivered to our house actually this morning and- guys had to come in and take it up. And I'm thinking, I mean, am I allowed to let people in my house? Am I not allowed to, you know, what do I do here? You know, I can't, and it's just kind of weird, just that whole dynamic of how you're thinking about it. And then the other part of it though, I'll say that, you know, I also trust the people I'm around a lot, like that the people I know very well, um, that they're doing the right things. They've gone, they've done everything they need to be, maybe even been tested, stuff like that. So I think that makes it a little more comfortable, but it's right. It's the ones that you don't know. And that kind of situation where you're kinda of a little bit uneasy and then you don't want to be awkward. I had a friend come over actually. She's um she's very much into suicide prevention, uh, which is going on right now. It's Suicide Prevention Month, I believe it is. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, she asked me, you know, would you like to could you take a picture with the suicide prevention flag? And I said, sure. And you're actually gonna see it on social media. I'm gonna promote it soon. Like I took a picture and I've known this girl since high school, and she came over and she brought the flag and And I'm like, I don't want to, I said, I don't want to be rude to you. Like, I'd love to give you a hug goodbye, but you know, I don't know what we're supposed to do here. She's like, no, it's okay. So that's the other part. It was like explaining to someone, I don't think I'm supposed to touch you. I'd like to just say hello or whatever, but you know, how do we do this?
1: Right. And and again, it's very weird because some people just for whatever reason, don't even think about it. They just still act like it's normal. Especially down here in Florida. I'm telling you, it's absolutely crazy compared to Buffalo. And I know that for sure, because I was going to go to Buffalo over the summer, I had a friend having a big birthday party, and I was going to go as a surprise. And as I talked to family members, they're like, don't do it, especially coming from Florida, because it's such a hot spot. You know what I mean? How people are, so decided not to. Anyway, I got some fun stuff that I want to get into with you. But before that, uh, it was a sad moment this past weekend for the Buffalo basketball community. Uh, Riverside High School legend Cliff Robinson passed away. and Of course, Cliff went on to start UConn, had a long career. I think he played like 18 years in the NBA handful of guys that were one of the greats. And now, you know, Cliff's a little bit older than than you and I, so a little bit before our time in terms of, uh, you know, being able to, well, we'll see him play, but anyway, but I know that you are, at least you were for sure, very big on high school hoops, an old school hoops guy just like me. And I'm sure you remember Cliff as one of the greats to ever come out of Western New York.
0: Yeah. You know, I didn't, like you just said, he was a little before our time. I don't think I realized like who Cliff Robinson truly was as far as his Buffalo connection until he was at UConn. You know, I didn't, I didn't know. I'm like, oh, that guy went to Buffalo. I think, you know, I'd heard his name in passing, Cliff Robinson, Riverside, but it wasn't like the Richie Campbells or the Marcus Whitfields who were more my age that I watched right. and stuff like that. This was a little bit before me. So I didn't realize, you know, who he was, but at UConn, I remember like going, oh, like like this guy played, played, he's from Buffalo. How cool is that? Like, he's really good. And that's kind of when UConn was really vaulted onto the national map. Really when Cliff was there was also when Jim Calhoun arrived right around the same time. And that that team, that coaching staff, whatever, you know, they they really vaulted UConn onto the national scene. And Cliff was a big part of that. In fact, I read a quote from Jim Calhoun after his death that said he was our first great player. You think about that, right? Think about Jim Calhoun saying that about somebody. at UConn. he was our first great player. And, you know, he really was because you think UConn wasn't really known as this basketball powerhouse. But right around that time it was. So I didn't think about. Cliff Robinson as a Buffalo player until he was out of Buffalo. But then you think about, and you go back and you see, and you think about all the people that came out of Buffalo, the great basketball players. And then you look and say, okay, well, how did they do going on? And there's no doubt to me that the number one career in the NBA from Buffalo would be Bob Lanier. And number two would be Cliff Robinson.
1: You could probably
0: make a good argument. for Christian Leitner. He played a long time, but I think Cliff Robinson had a better NBA career than Leitner because he was a two-time defensive team, uh, all-defensive team. He was a sixth man of the year. He played He's he still. He played in how many games? Like 1,400 games or something, or 14th all-time yeah. in games played, whatever it is. But I, I think he had a better NBA career than Christian or I think he's the second-best NBA career to ever come out of this this area.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Definitely Lanier, and then in my opinion, definitely Cliff Robinson, too. Now, one thing that you and I have in common, 100% agreed that with respect to a cliff. And obviously i never watched Bob Winter play, of course, when he right, played, right. but Richie Campbell to us is the greatest player in high school to ever come out of Buffalo, New York. Now, I said well, there was a pretty spirited debate. In fact, you were partaking a little bit over Twitter uh, over the weekend. Um, some people were saying Johnny Flynn and some other guys. Again, I mean, there's so many great players. you mentioned some of them, Trevor Ruffin and Curtis Aiken, Marcus Whitfield, who you mentioned, uh, James Rowe, a couple of years after us at Traditional, he was phenomenal. Johnny Flynn, Paul Harris, those guys. But to me, I, I guess you had to see him. But yeah, in the late '80s, I think he was class of '90. I think it was one year behind me in high school. But yeah, Richie Campbell, dude, that that guy was just the best player I've ever seen in my life in high school.
0: Yeah, he was for me too. You know, there's a difference. I think what happened was you get into this. Well, the person was saying that Johnny Flynn was because look at all Flynn's accomplishments. And my point right. is, accomplishments does not mean best. It does not mean most talented. You can have the most accomplishments. You can be the player of the year. You can win state championships. That doesn't mean you were the most talented player. I think the most mm-hmm. the most talented player I ever saw was Richie Campbell, which is what you're saying as well. Now, I didn't, I wasn't here to watch Johnny Flynn, but I follow Syracuse recruiting and I knew who Johnny Flynn was, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I, I follow the scene in that regard, and I know Paul Harris was great too. They also had a you know great team like Richie had. You know, Marcus Winfield. There was a guy named Paul, a big uh, center they had too on that that Burgard team. Richie was without a doubt to me the most talented player, but unfortunately. Obviously, his life um, went in a different direction after high school, and he never went on to be a superstar college player or play in the NBA, which I fully think he would have if he had made the better decisions. Now, since then, I will tell you, I've gotten to know Richie, and I'm fortunate to, and we've reminisced about a lot of stuff. I had him on the radio many years ago, and um, he had come out of jail, and he started to you know, rehab his life, and we talked a lot about that. It was very emotional. And since then, I've kept in contact with him a couple of times here or there. There's been a documentary made on Richie, actually. And I was the person who introduced the documentary at the North Park Theater when it came out. Uh, I was on stage and I did that with Richie. I talked with him. And then I was at a Bills game on the sidelines preseason. I believe it was last year. And I'm walking and I'm just kind of standing over in the corner of the end zone. And up maybe about 20, 30 rows, I'm hearing someone yell my name. And I try to always turn around and wave. And there's Richie standing up looking at me, waving. I call him down and... You know, we talk, so I'm fortunate enough to, you know, have a relationship in that regard with Richie. Um, and I know he's gone through a lot of struggles in his life. And and I also know he's worked with a lot of youth and things like that. So the basketball part of it, though, is truly amazing to think about how great he was. But that's where that came from. You know, I, 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 re- I didn't watch Leitner play necessarily. He went to Nichols. Um, I, I remember Jason Rowe was incredible, but Richie clearly was number one for me.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, I went to Lafayette High School, so I, I'll never forget it. He was a junior, I think, in 89. I didn't play, but Lafayette had this tiny little gym, and I'll never forget this man. Richie's playing against Lafayette, and he's literally, and I'm not even trying to make a joke or be humorous with you. I'm being dead serious. He was literally kicking it to a girl in the stands during the game. I remember, he scored 49 points. He probably could have scored 60 if he wanted to, and he was literally kicking it to some girl during the game, and I'm not saying, hey, what's up, baby, or said. Like having a conversation with this girl while he's playing and just absolutely <laughs> dominating <laughs> dominating everybody. He was just, yeah, he was on another level. And I agree. Look, I did follow high school hoops for pretty long after that too. And I think Niagara Falls had the best team ever. If you want to talk about Johnny and Paul Harris, they had like five D1 guys. Right. James Sarge was part of that team. Another guy, I can't remember his name, but ended up at UB. So yeah, they had the best team. But without question to me, Richie, was uh, it was the best of the best. Let me say so this too know? real quick. What?
0: So So in high school... You know, we were just of driving age, basically, you know, my friends and I, and I went to Cleveland Hill and, um, they didn't, they didn't play. In fact, well, here's a quick side, funny story. Richie, we were actually a very good basketball program at the time I was there. I didn't play basketball. I was actually the PA announcer for the basketball team. And Richie, when I first had had him on the radio, he goes, oh man, Cleveland Hill, we wanted to play you guys so bad. We were in the same class. They never matched up. Actually. That was kind of funny. But what I will tell you is some of my friends and I, we used to drive around to watch. Burgard. Yeah. I remember going to Amherst High School to watch them play because everybody had to see, you know, the greatest show on turf, basically, but on a basketball court in this sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I did that. I watched a lot of these high school players play. And again, I went to Lafayette. We were nothing special in basketball. I was obsessed with high school and college hoops, like especially yeah. the Big East in the 80s when I was a kid. I cared about that way more than the NBA. I, when I got older, I started, you know, getting more into football and hockey and other stuff. But yeah, as a kid, basketball was definitely my first love. So anyway, now, many people know this when uh, you're a little bit younger anyway, before you came back to Buffalo, eventually got your job and your career at WGR. Now you moved to Florida and you lived there for quite a while. How long were you there for? Not, not everybody doesn't know that information that you were in Florida for a long time. A lot of people do, but not everybody. So why did you go to Florida to begin with after growing up in Western New York?
0: 16 years I was there from 1995 Ooh. through 2011. Uh, I moved down in October, I believe it was October Ninth was the day I moved out, I believe, if I remember right, 1995, I remember that. Um, I was looking for a job in broadcasting when I got out of Syracuse. And a friend of mine here in Buffalo that I grew up with, his cousin ran a radio station in Florida, a very small radio station in a little town, sleepy town called Englewood, which is a little south of Sarasota. As you know, it's nearby you know where, where you are now. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, hey- you know, if you want a job, like I can give you one, but you got to do sales or like radio sales, but we'll put you on the air a little bit too. And I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, like, why not? It's a job and I can go on the air. It was a news slash sports station, news sports. And um, went down there I didn't realize how sleepy of a town it was until I actually moved down there. I mean, they brought me down. They took me to Sarasota, I think, and wine and dine me to make me think it was (laughs) some really happening place. It really wasn't, but that's okay. So that's that's why I went down there. So after a couple of years, he actually left and I became the station manager. I mean, I was super young. I wasn't making much money. You know, we had to do sales. I hated sales. I really hate it. I have so much respect for people in my business that are account executives. I really do. It's not Mm -hmm. my thing. I can talk to anybody. If you get me in the door, I can probably sell you. I just I hate doing it. <laughs> I, I talk on the radio. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, for I can I can help you form relationships. I can move those things along, but I am not an account executive, and I have a lot of respect for people. And I hated doing it on a day to day basis. But at the same time, I was on the air. I was there was a morning show. We did like a news magazine type program. I did a, my own sports show at one time. I did a lot of things. Started coaching because I was so bored. I started coaching kids in football and Bas and baseball, little league, Pop Warner. And, um, I was bartending on the side to make extra money. I was just doing a lot of things. And then, and then, I, uh, I really wanted to kind of, you know, I wanted to move up advance. You know, it's hard when you're young, you think you're going to just, you know, make that next step immediately because, Oh, I'm going to be on ESPN by the time I'm 25. Right. That's the way I'm thinking. Right. It doesn't work like that. So, you know, you start to get a little frustrated and think, what are you going to do? You go, you go through some crossroads. We all do this in our lives at some point or another. And, um, at the same time, the, Uh, I knew I was questioning, like, you know, what am I going to do? How do I do I stay here the rest of my life? At the same time, the high school coach um, football had come to me and he he offered me a job in his junior varsity staff because I'd worked really well with some of the kids that had come through the program. And he really enjoyed that, that I was doing that. And I was really there for the right reasons and those kinds of things. So they have spring football down there. As you know, your your son's a a very good player and they do spring football for a month. And after one spring, I loved it so much. I said, I think I want to coach. Uh, this is what I want to do. I, I want to become I'll become a teacher so I can coach. So I went back to the University of South Florida, got certified to teach, got hired at that school, Lemon Bay High School, and I was. A, I was a social studies teacher for ten years. Coached football for ten years. I started coaching baseball for four years, and then I coached girls. I was the head girls' track coach for six years. Sent a bunch of girls off to college to run. We won four district championships in my six years. It was great. Uh, really learned a lot. And then, um, you know, I mean, the thing is, I moved back because I never. I never lost that itch, Pat. Like I, my passion has always been radio. It's always been wanting to do this and I wanted to do it still. And as much as I loved coaching, um, my true passion, my, I, I really liked teaching, but my true passion was radio. And I, there was an opening at WGR in 07. I applied for it. I didn't get the job, but they said they really liked me. And down the road that if I ever wanted to move to Buffalo, they would give me a job. So I did it. I did it at the age of 37. My wife was on board with it. And she's kind of the one that said, let's do it. She was going through a transition in her career. And we basically packed up and left. And I started over in radio at the age of 37 in Buffalo.
1: Yeah. So 16 years you spent down here. How long would you say was it before you started really getting that itch to want to come back to Buffalo? I'm going to be honest with you, man. I'm not going to be politically correct here towards, I've made some Florida friends and I know some of them listen to this podcast, even though it's primarily about Buffalo stuff, but just gonna say it, I hate Florida. I really do. I, I you, do you know, hate about if it? you would add this, um, I hate that there's not communities to that, you know, in Buffalo, there's a bear blast, there's a a meat raffle. If you if your kid, when he gets older and he starts playing sports, and, and you want to, if he plays travel hockey and you want to have a bear blast to have, you know, to raise money for fees and stuff like that, half the neighborhood is going to be at it. You know what I'm saying? It's just community driven and oriented. Even with your son
0: playing football and, you know, and knowing some of the parents and stuff, it's, it's, you know, you don't have that as much as you'd like.
1: No, not, not at all. It's very, people down here are nice. All right. I would say the easy, and and again, you know this because you've lived this. So when you come down to Florida, the biggest advantage that you have is that it seems like everyone else is in your boat. Now, whether it's from Buffalo, Chicago, New Jersey, Philly, Somebody is always from somewhere mm-hmm. else. So it's, Tran- easy it's to a fit transient in. place. Yes. Absolutely. The downside is to me, everyone is more to themselves. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily bad. I mean, again, look, very cool people, good vibes, you know, but it's just everyone keeps more to themselves. As much well, as I love the winner, here's, here's, here's an
0: example. The, yeah, here's an example. And I'm sorry to cut you off, but here's an example of what you mean. I agree with this, which is. So your son goes to a school, which has how many kids in it? Probably 2,000, 2,500? Yeah, right
1: around, yeah, right around 2,000 right now. Yeah. If you put that same town
0: here in Buffalo, you're going to have four schools, all with 500 each. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's so personal here. Everybody gets out. You, you have these little small communities here. In Cheektowaga, there's Cleveland Hill, there's Maryvale, there's Cheektowaga Central, and there's JFK. There's four schools. If you put Cheektowaga in Florida, there's one school and everybody goes there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's other things too. And again, for some people, it's a great fit if you love the beaches. And again, I'm telling you stuff that you already know. If you love the beaches, if you love being on the water, if you love boats, if you love one, basically one season where the sun's out 300 and at least 30 days out of the year, then it's for you. But I miss, and I took a lot of this for granted and I'm, I didn't realize it then, but I realize it now having four seasons Means a lot to me. I enjoy that. I enjoy the fall. I enjoy the spring, and you really don't have much of that at all here. You know the the grass and the trees, the leaves are never brown in, in Florida. You I know? see, so, and I'm
0: not a beach person. I'm not a boat person. Me neither. Uh, and and I think I agree with you. And I lived in a beach community, you know, and you you live close to the water as well. So that that was also it for me. Now I will tell you, I became a golf person, and I do love to play golf, and I could play golf every day if I could down there. That'd be great. I also still yeah. own my house down there. Like we rent it out. Um and you know like maybe someday we'll see. And here's the other thing; it's kind of funny. I haven't told you this since last time we talked. So my mom and my stepdad they moved to Florida when I was there. They retired at 55. You know, I told them they were too young to retire and move to Florida because it was too old down there for them. Right? They retired mm-hmm. at 55. They built a house near me in Florida. They lived there several years later. I'm like, hey mom, I know you just moved here, but I'm moving back to Buffalo, right? So I did. <laughs> they but anyway. they she was great about it, but they then they moved to Georgia to be closer to my stepbrother and buy a bigger house so that they could have more of the family around. Two kids on, you know, my mom and two kids from my stepdad. Anyway, literally, Pat, two months ago, they high-tailed it back to Florida because they missed it. And they, they moved back to Rotunda, Englewood, basically. And they bought a house on a golf course. So now I can go down there and, you know, play golf again and hang out with my mom or whatever. So I'm looking forward to doing that. But I don't know if I could live there until I was really at an age where I could just say I'm done doing this. Like I, I couldn't do what I do now, and I love it. And I love Buffalo. We love raising our son here. It is a great community. I think I agree with that. Um, it's not that I hate. I don't hate Florida, but I couldn't live there full time like I do now, like I did before.
1: Yeah, it's a great place to visit, man. I mean, another thing too is it costs money. I mean, real estate is more down here, but beyond that, there's so many things to do. All you know, a million and one tiki bars and nice restaurants to eat at. Of course, you got Orlando, which is, you know, within a reasonable driving distance, at least on the Sun Coast where I am and where you lived. But that's, it it costs a lot of money, you know, to do that stuff. I don't know. And then the last but not least is the food. I mean, Mm -hmm. I like to eat shitty food, man. I love pizza. I love wings. I love people. I don't even know what beef on whack is most people down here. I took that for granted. There's a of Pizza like five minutes from where I live, or about fifteen minutes now because I moved recently. Um, and it's the only Buffalo connection that's within even a semi reasonable driving distance to me. Florida wings are the worst, man. They're so bad that you know how. I Patrick's aren't bad I though, right?
0: They still pretty good. They were good in Sarasota. Yes, Patrick.
1: those are very good. Yeah, you recommended that place to me, oh, Yeah, they were actually really good. One of the very few places in that Sarasota area that have a uh, good wings. The best thing is the sports. I mean, if you're a sports, uh, I should, let me take that back. High school sports is phenomenal down here. I don't care about the pro sports teams as good as some of them are. The fan base down here is the absolute worst. It blows my mind how bad the fans are down here.
0: Yeah. They don't care. They're big college fans too. And you get you'll get it. But the problem is where you live, you get Florida, you get USF, you get UCF, you get Florida State, you get Miami. And when I was down there, like Florida State was super good, and Florida was super good. And Miami, so those were really the big three before USF and UCF came aboard. So you have really good college fan base, but the problem is you're you're kind of an area where it's it's pulling away. You you asked me a question. I, I did want to tell you this and, and get to it. You asked me a question about, you know, when I kind of got the itch and wanted to come back. You know, mm-hmm. I, I always thought about it in the back of my head, like, you know, I really I think I could do it. I could I could be a host on WGR, right? I could I never thought about being a reporter. That just happened when I got here, but I could be a host on WGR. I always thought about it. And, you know, I never left the business truly. I would do a TV show up in Sarasota a little bit once a week with a guy. I did some filling in on a radio even when I was going back to school. And I did I started before podcasting was podcasting, I was podcasting. Before, you know, I was videocasting. As you remember, I was being right, made yeah, part yeah. of being down in mom's basement when now everybody's doing this, <laughs> right? Everybody's doing it. I was doing it in 07.
1: Oh my God. I remember that. I remember that very well. Oh my gosh. So anyway,
0: here's what happened. So I think you'll appreciate this story because you have a, a young you have a son who's a senior in high school, I believe, right? Yeah, he's a senior now, yeah. So I'm coaching and We had, at one point, we were really good in football for a few years and it was awesome. You know, going to practice every day with some really good, talented players and coaching them and, you know, those kids and everything. And then, you know, the ebbs and flows of high school sports, we just, we got bad pretty quickly and it was Mm -hmm. tough. We were in like one game a year, two games a year out of 10. And, you know, it it makes it a little draining on it, but you're still there for the right reasons. You're still trying to coach and you go to practice every day. At the same time, the head coach I was working for, he was going through a lot of stuff in his personal life and he just wasn't the same coach. You know, he, he wasn't doing it the same way. He didn't have the same passion. It made it difficult on everybody, I think, you know, to, to really be there and, and really sink yourself into it. So I I started thinking, you know, I'm not, I don't know, man, I don't know where this is going. Do I want to go coach somewhere else? At one time I wanted to be a college football coach actually, but I have friends who coach college football and they've lived in like five cities in five years. I don't want to do that. So, you know, at one time then I thought about, I actually went back to school to get my master's in education leadership. I was going to be, I wanted to be like an assistant principal. I got, I thought, I thought about a lot of different things, but the one thing that was always constant for me was, you know, radio and, and, and wanting to do that. So in the meantime, we had a couple other guys get hired to coach with us. And you you have to think we got a team that's not as good. We got a coach that's not into it as much. And now I have this guy, this one guy specifically who was coaching with us. And he was not the kind of person that should be coaching young, young men. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like at practice every day, like he'd have inappropriate conversations with these kids. Like, and I'm like, what is this guy? Why is he talking about stuff like that in front of kids? Right. I mean, what are you doing? These are 17, these are 16 year old kids. Right now. I know some people may be listening and go, Oh, boys will be boys. I don't think so. I don't believe in that. You're there to be a, you're there to, to mold them into young men and understand about character and you know, how to, um, how to, to conduct yourself. And, you know, sure, I'm not going to tell you I've never sworn in front of a kid or anything like that. Of course, I probably have. And I I definitely have. But this guy's whole thing was, oh, I'm going to be the kid's friend. I'm going to swear and talk about girls in a really, you know what I mean? Like locker room talk. That's not why you're there. And in the meantime, he was also, what he would do was, he was kind of like a a backstabber to the other coaches. Like he'd say to a kid, oh, look at Kapachu over there doing this. Oh, right. You know, like, come on, we're all on the same staff here. And this stuff was wearing on me every single day. And then, so one day, one day we're playing um, uh, a school with the Port Charlotte high school, which was nearby. And Anthony Hargrove was actually a player on that team. Remember Anthony mm-hmm. Hargrove,
1: right? One, oh yeah. 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 We we played that school too. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. Remember Anthony Hargrove was a defensive lineman in the NFL. He was actually a quarterback and safety in high school. <laughs> That's how great Ooh. an athlete he was. And uh-huh. um, I remember he, this guy, he, the kids loved when he gave the pregame speech. Okay. Because you know why? Because He's a guy that's going to swear and he's going to, oh, that's what kids love. But that's, that's why they loved when he talked to them, right? Which is whatever. So he gets in there and he says, he says, basically, tonight we're playing the pirates. You know what pirates have been throughout history? And then he started saying some things that I'm not even going to repent on your podcast. And I know you can swear on your podcast, but like he was saying some really crude, inappropriate, homophobic, sexual yeah. types of things. And I'm like, I cannot believe. I have my name attached to this right now. Like this guy's doing, he's part of the staff that I'm on. I can't Mm -hmm. do this anymore. I don't want to be around this. This is not who I am. This is not what I believe in. And literally the next day, Pat, I I went out, I coached my kids on, I was coaching DBs at the time. The next day I went into my um, head coach and I said, Hey, I'm going to finish out the year. And there's some things I want to do in life and get to that. I, I've been putting off and, and that's pretty much what changed my life back into radio.
1: Hmm. That's interesting. Well, I mean, that aside, yeah, for sure. Football is probably, high school football is my favorite thing down here. You know how you talked about earlier how you and your boys, when someone had a car, used to go around and watch Richie play? Yeah. It's kind of like that down here. There's some programs and some kids that are just that good. You just look at them or you hear about them, and you just know that they're going to become stars. I mean, they get yeah. recruiting down here' just absolutely insane. In fact, tonight, because people are hearing us on Friday, tonight on ESPN, literally, not even like ESPN 2 or 3, like the real ESPN of Venice and IMG are playing. Now, IMG is only 10 minutes from my house, but that's not a Florida program. That's kids from all over the country. But you know this, Venice is a legit Florida program. Like Suncoast, Florida, all the kids are from there, man. Yeah, so ESPN's Venice, today. Venice's
0: coach is John Peacock. I know him pretty well. Yeah. Um, and and a very good friend of mine is one of his assistants, Sasha Heyer, who used to be at Northport High School, actually. But, but John Peacock, the head coach of Venice High School that you're talking about, that's going to be on ESPN, I actually did a coaches show with him, like on TV. That's how big of a program it was on the local Comcast station. He did a weekly coaches show to break down like the last week's, like you do see in the NFL or college. That's where, that's how big those programs are.
1: It's crazy. Yeah. They have video They have a rep video. When you go into the stadium, it's a, now I personally hate Ben. It's just because they're our rivals. They beat us four times over two years in every single game. Braden River was winning in the fourth quarter, but that's neither here nor there or whatever. But anyway, last thing, then we'll move on. I'm not going to lie to you. I was just talking about Florida. Kind of leveraging my son to be able to help me get back to Buffalo. Because my wife is a little more, she's not as clear cut as I am. A little more, she's a little more torn. Because she likes things about Florida more than Mm -hmm, I do. mm -hmm. She's active. She plays volleyball. She plays softball. And you can do that year round down here. Okay. I don't do that stuff. So I really don't mean anything to me. But anyway, my kid, probably mainly because of his height. He's getting a lot of D2 attraction right now. And there's a lot of programs up north that are, uh interested is and there's some down south too but i'm kind of angling to make sure he uh kind of guide him without making him ultimately he'll get that decision but kind of guiding him to get back up north because then it's easier to say i want to you know we can go back home and take a three four hour ride to go watch him play someday in college as opposed to you know being stuck down there i get it i'm a bad person i'm using him for leverage to to get back home Uh (laughs) next year (laughs) (laughs) anyway so and just Sports generally, right now, watching them as a fan—baseball, hockey, hoops—has it been weird for you with uh, no real fans in the stands? Did you adjust rather quickly, or to kind of take you some time to get used to it?
0: Yeah, it's been a bit weird because you kind of know it. It's not that I—it's not that I turn on and go, "Oh, there's no fans in the stands." It's more the fact that I'm turning on, knowing that's the case, and it's already—I'm already thinking about it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is different. It's still—it still feels fake in a lot of ways because of that. Uh, we were in the stadium, though, for the Bills a couple weeks ago. They had a scrimmage, and there were no fans, and there was crowd noise. And I'll, t- I'll be honest, at times it sounded normal. <laughs> it sounded like a normal game, but you know there were no fans in there. But for me, that's what it is more. It's not that I'm turning on this hockey game. When I watch the game, I can't tell there's no fans, but I know it in my head. That's what's weird to me is thinking about, oh, yeah, there's no fans. And the Lightning just scored an overtime goal, and they're playing fake crowd noise. And you know, wh- I'm thinking, what's it like in that arena right now? Because no one's actually cheering.
1: Yeah, it's not so How about the Yankees, man? And we both like Yankees. Uh, they're a real enigma this year. Great roster, man, but they can't stay healthy. Judge and Stanton, those dudes are always getting hurt. Uh, a yeah. bunch of other guys have been down this year. Gary Sanchez, we keep hearing about him year after year. Dude is struggling to hit like 130 right now as we tape this, man. But yet, they're still very much in the thick of things in a, and in obviously a shortened 60-game season.
0: Yeah, and... You know, it just shows you how great Lemayhu is. They, he goes out of the lineup, they lose seven in a row. He comes back, they win right. Right. Away, right? Um, he's yeah. he's just he's such a good hitter. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I was never on board with the Stanton trade. I didn't like it. I still don't like it. I I don't want to call Judge injury prone, but it just seems like that that's what he is right now. Right. I, yeah. I hate saying that. Um, and then Gary Sanchez can't get out of his own way hitting the ball, and he's supposed to be such a great young hitter. And even you No know, Glaber, Glaber, the, the the start he got off to was pretty horrible, but the Yankees still have a lot of talent. And I think at the end of the day, they're still going to be right there. But yeah, it's it's kind of discouraging looking at this lineup every day and going, oh my God, like who who do they have? Wait, who's this? They all call, had to have another guy. I don't know who he is. You know, hey, Davey Garcia looked good though in his debut.
1: Yeah, all the all this star power in like, just like last year, it's kind of like on Luke Voigt right now to be the uh, primary. Well, DJ's back, which is good. But uh, yeah, man, it's just too much talent to be as inconsistent as they are with these injuries. Now, you talked about, by the way, you talked about this, as uh, soon as you said this, I remembered this. Pete in the stands a couple of go, or weeks ago for a scrimmage. How strange has it been covering practice right now compared to others? And talk a little bit about like some of these crazy restrictions that you and other reporters have right now for some out there who may not know what they are. Obviously, it's much more difficult in this COVID era right now to do your job. I think that's been
0: the biggest thing, this camp. It's not been being in Buffalo at the stadium with no fans. I mean, to me, it's the same as watching regular season practices. That's what we do. We go to the mm-hmm. stadium, we go outside and go to the practice field. Now I will tell you, I do miss St. John Fisher a lot. That's cool. That's a cool part of my life every year for about three weeks, going out there, hanging out with other media members, watching practice, uh, meeting fans, and then going out at night with uh, you know friends and Getting up the next morning, getting a in my dorm room. I got my TV, my coffee, I pour it, I go downstairs, seeing Howard and Jeremy on set, you know, getting ready for a morning practice. I miss all of that. There's no doubt. But the actual practice part here at the stadium, it's really no different than what I normally do anyway, outside of three weeks for the football season, which is practice on the fields. The bigger thing has been the restrictions. It's just right. really hard. It's hard to tell people not to be able to tell people what's going on essentially right I mean I get it I, I understand what they're doing I don't necessarily agree with every reason but I understand them right and so that's fine and and we gotta live with that but um not what I feel for is fans I can't tell fans where Cody Ford is or isn't playing I can't tell fans you know which wide receivers are getting reps behind what is consensus the top three um I can't tell people that and that's what hurts because I think fans that's what my job is. I'm a conduit to the fans, right? So that's what hurts me. But on top of it, Pat, it's also just kind of being like every, always second guessing myself and questioning, like, am I allowed to say this? Am I not allowed to say this? Am I allowed to tweet this? Am I not allowed to tweet this? That's what's been pretty difficult the last couple of weeks, which is, and look, the Bills have a great PR staff and they're, you know, they're helping us as much as can be. And they are there to answer any of those questions, right? I, I have literally asked several times. Hey, is it okay if I report this? And they'll tell me yes or no. And I go with that. That's what I do. That's, you know, that's what the rule is. So they've been great about that. But there are times where I'm like, wait a minute, am I am I allowed to do this? Am I not allowed to do it? And, and that's what's making it difficult. And I feel bad for some of my colleagues too, because I'll go on with Howard and Jeremy. I'll go on with Shop and Bulldog. They have to be careful because they don't want to put me in a position. It just happened this morning. You know, we're taping this on Thursday. It happened Thursday morning. Howard asked me a question about. Who, about right guard and right tackle and who I thought should play there. And I said to him, I said, it's kind of a loaded question. If I give an answer, it might it might kind of give away what they've been doing and I don't want to do that.
1: Right. <laughs> what about like, I, see, I today, again, we're taping this on Thursday. In fact, right before we started taping this, Josh Allen was on. I, I saw it on Twitter. They carried the stream live. And I see some people, including yourself, having to ask these questions from Zoom from your house. I seen Heather Bruzak she was in like her car asking questions. It's just so weird to see. And I would feel like it would also handcuff you a little bit. Like for an example, let's say that you want to go on the air and you want to have a discussion about uh, how Cody Ford looks. And normally you would not just talk to Cody Ford or watch him with your eyes, but you might talk to three or four guys about Cody Ford. You know what I mean? To help formulate your story. If you're going to put something on WGR550.com, you don't get an opportunity. Well, It's not that you don't, it's probably much more difficult. If you want to do a story on Cody Ford, you might want to talk to the old line coach. You might want to talk to the coordinator. You might want to talk to one or two other linemen, get quotes from them. That really kind of handcuffs you too, ain't it?
0: It has been really tough not to be in the locker room. That's what it really is. It's not being able to go in the locker room, not being able to walk up to a player at the end of practice. Once practice is over, like we have to stand in one area of practice, which is understandable then. And we only get to watch a certain amount and then we got to leave. And not having that interaction with players is absolutely different. And it's been much more of a handcuff, as you would say, as you said, to do our job this year. There's no doubt about that. I can't just walk up to a player and have a conversation like I normally would be able to. And then as far as you know, the, the Zoom thing is, you know, everybody lives different places, right? So, And we all have different schedules. So excuse me. So if you go to practice and we have Josh Allen on They'll tell us every morning who we're going to have after practice, you know, and like, mm-hmm. Hey, we got Josh Allen after practice today. And it was Josh Allen, Harrison Phillips on Thursday. So I can decide, like, do I want to sit in my car and listen to him and talk to him through the zoom and tweet out some stuff? Do I want to just listen to it on the way home and not even participate, but just listen. I've done that, you know, where I'm not actually asking a question, but I'm listening to everything he's saying because I'm tapped into the zoom call and I'm literally driving home in my car, listening to the live zoom call. Do I want to come home, which I did today because I have time, and then log on and actually partake in the Zoom? Like, these are all ways that everyone's kind of learning how to do it. And I, I feel bad for the TV people who have to actually kind of use some of the video, actually, right? For me, I'm lucky. You know, I have Joe DiBiase and Brayton Wilson who they record it from WGR anyway. So even if I miss it, I'll have it and they right. can just use the sound for their shows, which is fine. I'm just doing it for my my knowledge and to ask questions and things like that. We'll, but those guys are putting the audio up for it for us on our site and things like that. Um, But it, it, the two things, that, the one thing that's good and the one thing that's bad. So the thing that's bad is kind of like you alluded to, but in a different way. We get one, two questions, let's say, when we ha- raise our hand on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, if you want to follow up, that might be tough sometimes. Now you could do it. That's not like to say, Hey, one question only we're moving on, but you also don't want to monopolize the time of everybody. So you get a question, you got to move on. One thing that has been good though, is it really is very structured because you have to raise your hand and there's not all these reporters yelling over each other to get a question in, which often happens, right? In a scrum. And on top of that, you can hear all the questions perfectly and all the answers perfectly because there's not a lot of noise and because the microphones and the way they're set up, which I know fans appreciate. I've heard fans say they like the zooms better because they can hear everything really well.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. No question about it. I talked to, I had Sal Mariana on the podcast just a couple of days ago. And because he's all the way in Rochester, he said he's only been to like two practices this mm-hmm. year at this point, the way things are, it's just easier for him to stay home and work. And I uh, do like you said, like you're home today for zoom. That's uh been what he's been doing. Uh, Also, the Bills not having any fans for the first two home games, at least so far. That's official anyway. Um, Other teams will be. I know Miami's having limited capacity when they play the Bills. What's your take on that? Some teams having fans and others not having fans. Are you good with that? Do you think it's a fair thing right now? Do you think it's unfair?
0: I don't think the policy is fair. I don't think it's going to matter too much for most situations, though. What I mean is, Like going to Miami with 13,000 fans, that's not going to have an impact on the game, really. In fact, a lot of them will be Bills fans, as you know. But even if they were all Miami Dolphins fans, I don't think it's going to matter all that much having 13,000. I think the problem comes in, Pat, where because there's no uniform policy, what's to stop a team from having 70,000 and then the Bills don't have any at their home game, right? I think that's where it becomes an unfair advantage. It's not not the minimum numbers that teams are allowed to have. It's you're not capping it and you're not really – having any sort of uniform policy here where you could have a huge discrepancy at some point where some stadiums are not allowing anybody in and then some stadiums are allowing everybody in and then it to me does become a bit of an unfair advantage and if you go back and really think about what the NFL did back in March and April and May the NFL has had a uniform policy for everything during this pandemic they even went so far to say whenever when all the facilities were starting to shut down when this thing started they said if one facility can't open to players, nobody can. So if one team can't go into their their training facility, nobody can, No, th- all the th- all 32 teams. But suddenly, they're going to have it where, oh, yeah, you can have fans and you can't. We know why that is, right? Because owners are fighting to, hey, if I can make money, I'm going to make money. That's what they're telling the league. Like, you can't stop me from making money. And I, I get that part of it, but I think it just goes against what the NFL has preached and done for the last six months, which
1: is what's good for one team is good for everyone. Yeah, now with no preseason games to go by, like you've been covering practice and you have policy and protocol for now, but with no preseason games to kind of perfect it a little bit, Uh, what do you expect it to be like for you covering an, a team at, on, you know, game day, whether it's Orchard Park or the road? I mean, obviously no fans in the stadium, at least in Buffalo anyway, like the access, you're not going to be able to just, you know, things are going to be different. Do you have any idea of how it's going to work on game days? Well, I'm a
0: little bit different. Of course, I am on the radio Because you're on the sideline. Yeah, but but I won't be this year. There's no sideline reporters allowed. Oh, that's right. Yeah, They've eliminated all sideline reporters, radio and TV, local, national, everything from the sideline. The plan is right now, uh, what I'm going to be able to do is I'm still going to be in the stadium. And I'm going to be like in row one, basically. I just won't be on the field. I'll be basically 10 feet away from where I normally would be. But I still mm-hmm. can't just roam around the field. It's going to be a little bit tougher and I got to navigate because there's going to be other people down there too, like some photographers or whatever. So I'm going to, wherever I go, I got to navigate. I'm not going to complain about it though, because at least I still get to get down there and I still can, you know, watch what's going on and be very close to the field. And when Murph says, you know, what's going on down on the sidelines, I'll be able to see what's going on on the sidelines. So from that aspect of it, that won't change. What will change is we can't go into the locker room after the game. We're going to have Zoom calls, you know, post-game Zoom calls like you see in Major League Baseball and the NHL. That's what's happening everywhere now, right, which is, you know, after the game, they're going to have a a Zoom conference. And if you're a reporter or whatever, you log in and you could ask a question just like we're doing now. So that part of it for sure is going to change. Um, On the road right now, We are actually preparing myself, uh, John Murphy, Eric Wood, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, everything can work out with him in the games. There's been some stories on that, but you know, I I won't get into that. It's not for me necessarily, but um, you know, myself and Murph and Eric, we are planning to do road games from the home radio booth at this point, not traveling because of all the travel restrictions and protocols, not just Mm -hmm. in the country, but within the league and each team where it's very restrictive. So, you know, that's our plan right now, at least planning that way. And unless something changes, that'd be great. And we can go on the road. But you know, we've been prepping for that, at least for that scenario, to be able to do the away games from the home radio booth.
1: Wow. Man, it's gonna be so interesting this year. Yeah. Uh, I want to get I wanna get to uh ask sale. We'll wrap up with that. I got a decent amount of questions from fans. These were from Facebook and Twitter. Not really a lot of football, a couple things, but uh anyway, we'll get to it. So Primetime Buffalo from Twitter says. Do you think eighty-man rosters help some guys on the back end get significantly more reps in camp, or do you think it's something the NFL should consider moving forward?
0: Um, I do think it gave guys more reps, and it does in- increase their chances or decrease. Maybe they didn't, you know, perform at- during those reps. I don't mm-hmm. think it's something the NFL should do because you know, training camp you you do need bodies. Guys go down, and the- part of the reason you have ninety players on your roster is because you know, you need to have guys available and you're not overtaxing everyone else. It's hot out there. Uh, you have injuries that occur. So I don't see the NFL going to 80. Um, I think they're going to keep it at 90. It's not that 80, if they went to 80, I still think you could get, you could get done what you want to get done. Um, but I think 90 is a good number for making sure that they have enough bodies available and guys don't have to be out there every single day, taking every rep basically.
1: Okay. Uh, Kevin from Facebook wants to know if you had to pick one thing that worries you most about the 2020 Buffalo bills, what would it be? Ooh, I think the easy answer here is Josh Allen, because simply I think he needs to grow
0: with the team and take the next step. Like they're so well built. They really are around the roster that Josh just, I have confidence that Josh is going to take another step, but there's always a question on what if he doesn't, if he doesn't, that could hold them back, like truly hold them back from being a much better team. Um, I, I think the other answer I'd give though, so I'll give two. I think number one is Josh, just from that standpoint. Not that I'm worried about Josh, but I think that you know he could very well be the swing way this goes from an 11 and five division champion type team to an eight and eight, nine and seven team that's fighting for a wild card, because I think they're mm-hmm. good enough to be able to do that anyway, even if he doesn't take another step. But I think health, you know, I mean, Pat, they've been really healthy the last couple of years and that's been fortunate. Now I think the roster's good. They have depth. But if you lose a couple of key players, I mean, that could really turn your season. And fortunately for the Bills, they really haven't lost key players the last couple of years.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jason LaRuca, I think I pronounced it right from Facebook, wants to know, scale one to 10, how much of a fantasy sports guy are you? I'm a fantasy football guy, but I play
0: fantasy football mostly to have fun with it, to interact with my buddies and, you know, sure, try to win. I'm not a set it and forget it guy. I take care of my team, believe me. But I am not a buy all the subscriptions and do 10 mock drafts before I do it, um, You know, join all these different leagues. I'm generally in two leagues a year. I'm in a league with my buddies in Florida. I'm in a league with my buddies up here. And you know, once in a while, I might get in a third one or something like that. I've thought about doing a guillotine league this year. It hasn't worked out. So I enjoy fantasy sports. I've played fantasy baseball. I've played fantasy college football. I've played fantasy hockey. Back in the year, years ago, I would do this. But right now, I just don't have enough time in my life. I, don't, I barely have enough time to stay on top of my own fantasy football teams. So I just kind of do it to do it, to have fun. And because it does help me for my job. Like I, if I'm paying attention to what's going on in fantasy football, there's a running back that's out and I got to read up on that. Then I'm getting other, other, oh, this guy's on that roster and he's an option. And that actually helps me for my job professionally.
1: It does. It's the same token. I'm thinking in my mind as I'm hearing you talk about it, I'm like, well, it's not like Sal gets to set his lineup and sit there on Sunday and watch and see how no. his games are going. No. I mean, you're kind of busy between one and four yeah. most Sundays, not to mention the lock room for the four o'clock games while well, that shit's going on in two. So no, that's, yeah, cool. you probably-
0: <laughs> I, that's okay though. What I do is I, I do set my lineup before, before kickoff at one o'clock and literally like while I'm on the sidelines during a commercial break, once in a while, I might check like, how's my fantasy team going? <laughs> but it, it I rarely check honestly until the game is even over and I go, Oh, I wonder how my fantasy teams did today.
1: <laughs> uh, maniac. Of course, I'm talking about Zach Sheldon from uh, Trainwreck oh Sports chimed in. He wants to know what's your worst professional experience?
0: Oh, boy. My worst professional experience. Okay. So I don't know if this would count as experience. I could tell you something that happened to me that was just like terrifying and like, oh, my God, I can't believe that just happened. So <laughs> I moved to Buffalo in August, early September 2011. And I'm and literally, it's a labor day weekend on Saturday morning. I get a phone call guy says, this is Jody McDonald ESPN radio in New York. Are you still ready to come on with us today? Now, have you ever heard of Jody McDonald? He's a radio talk show. The host. Sounds, He's the name sounds familiar ESPN radio. And he says, yeah, are you still yep. ready to come on with us today? And I go, I have no idea what you're talking about. What do you mean? He goes, yeah, we set up an interview. I thought for you to come on with us today. And I'm like, I didn't set anything up, but if you want me on to talk, like, to talk about the bills, I'm like, if you want me on, I'll go on with you. But this is the 1st time I'm hearing of it, right? He's like, <laughs> oh, okay, so let's let's do it. So I said, what time? And he tells me like 1 o'clock. This is like maybe 10 o'clock in the morning he calls me, like 1 o'clock. I'm like, all right. So now I'm thinking, all right, well, they're going to have me on here. So I go and I turn on the computer so I can hear what they're talking about before they bring me on. And he, he goes to break and he says, coming up next, we're going to go to Buffalo, talk with Sal Capaccio. About the bills. I'm like, okay, I'm waiting through the commercial break. Phone's not ringing. I'm waiting through the commercial break. Phone's not ringing. They come back on the radio. He says, all right, time to go out to Sal Capaccio in Buffalo, New York to find out about the bills. Hey, Sal, what's going on? And Pat, somebody else starts talking <laughs> and says, hey, how you doing, Jody? What's going on? Thick New York accent too. I'm like, this is not me. What, what is going on here? Like this is on ESPN radio. And I'm like, oh my God. What, what, what is going on here? I mean, maybe he was just doing a local, maybe he was doing the local hour in New York that time, but you, you know, and I'm like, wait a minute. So I pick up the phone and I'm dialing like to call back the number they called me from, right? They answer mm-hmm. the phone, like the hotline. And I said, this is Sal Capaccio. I don't know who is on the radio, but that is not me. You guys just called me two hours ago. And I said, I was here and I was ready. The guy's like, what? And he goes, hold on a second. He puts me on hold. While I'm on hold, I'm listening to this interview unfold. And the guy they're interviewing starts talking about naked men in the locker room. <laughs> okay. And Jody's like, Oh, oh, oh he kind of cuts him off. And he's like, I-, I don't know what's going on. And he stops for a second. The producer comes on. He goes, Sal, you still there? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, hold on, man, we'll get you back on in a second. So then Jody's like, all right, I don't know what that was, but I think we're really going to go to Sal Capaccio now. And he puts me on the air and I'm like, Hey Jody, I don't know what's going on, but how you doing? So the interview goes fine the rest of the way. So apparently, digging through, so he calls me after the show. Apparently, though, what happened was Howard's. I'm sorry, uh, my, my program director who hired me, his name was Andy Roth in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Andy, they called, they said, can you give us a guy? Andy gave him two people. He gave, me, gave him me and Howard Simon. Apparently, someone mixed up the numbers earlier in the week, called me, but actually mixed up my phone number with Howard's phone number dialed some other number and said to a guy who answered, Hey, this is ESPN radio in New York. Would you like to come and talk on the bill about the bills on? And this guy, whoever answered is like, yeah, sure. I'll do that. (laughs) Right. So they gave him a hotline number to call at that time. So instead of that, so instead of them calling me back at one o'clock, they get a call from this guy who's ready to rock and roll and go on the air and be inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) And says, Hey, it's Sal (laughs) Capaccio."
1: that's one of the best stories i've ever heard
0: and i'm listening <laughs> um my career i had just moved to buffalo my career is a suicide right here <laughs> on national radio
1: <laughs> oh my god oh, I don't it know was what Unbelievable!
0: That it was unbelievable <laughs> but that's what happened they mixed up the numbers they called the wrong guy the guy took advantage of it he called the hotline number they gave him
1: <laughs> but when <laughs> the they called me over. they called the right number that's amazing,
0: man. Is that? I think that uh, qualifies for a bad professional experience, right?
1: Yeah, I think it does too. <laughs> I don't even know. How to, I don't even know how to move on from there I don't know, right that, now. You, the, you have to tweet out like that. That's the story. Like you got to listen to this oh, story. That is going to be. Trust me, that will be separated from this podcast. That will be a clip. Man. Oh my <laughs> god,
0: that was a. Am- that was amazing. That that what happened. <laughs> oh my god.
1: Uh, t- t- Tom M from Facebook wants to know what's the hardest part about being an on-air radio personality.
0: Um, I think the hardest part for me has been to deal with critics and negativity over the years that is, that I feel sometimes is unwarranted, but I don't handle that as well as other people do. And that's an admitted self fault of mine, Pat. Like I've Mm got, I'm much better at it now than I ever have been. I'll tell you that. Like I'm, I'm way better now than I ever have been. It was very, very hard for me in the beginning to, like I was always like oh yeah new guy WGR you know come on this guy's great blah 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 and getting all this great feedback and all of a sudden you get on the air and you're like yeah but then all of a sudden you realize like some people just don't like you and they're going to tell you how you suck and you know that was really hard for me to deal with the fact that knowing that you know just people just you're going to make people mad or they just don't like you and i i I just I'm not that kind of guy I'm kind of a of a positive guy it was very hard for me to deal with i think sometimes that still is a little bit hard for me to deal with. I think um, just knowing you're always live, you know, uh, it's it's not like something you're always thinking about and walking on eggshells necessarily, but there's there's always moments here or there, whether it's a show or a segment or whatever, that you you, you kind of catch yourself once in a while and be like, okay, like I'm live. I got to remember that. Like, don't say something stupid here, you know, because mm-hmm. we live in a society where someone's going to pick up on it. They're going to say something about it. It's going to be viral. You know, those are kinds of things that, you know, really get you a little bit.
1: Yeah, how important and I'm I'm asking you this mm-hmm. to follow up on that. How important is it being likable in today's sports media? I, I asked you that because I consider you and so do most people, one of the more likable guys for sure, especially in the Buffalo sports media. And what I mean by that is this back in the day, it was the Buffalo News, it was WGR, and that was it. So if you didn't like right. Jerry Sullivan and, and his columns, who gives a shit? You read? what else are you gonna read? You know what I mean? You read that. Back in the day, like I remember when the coach was on there, a lot of people didn't like Coach Dickerson or whatever, but guess what? You're going to listen to them. Or you're not going to listen to anything. Right. Now there's always growing alternatives. And again, I use it as an example because you're very friendly with all forms of media. I mean, you're doing this podcast with me. I've seen you on trademark sports. You do other people's podcasts. You, you're always a guest. You're a, you're willingly engaging with all forms of media, whether it's mainstream alternative, whatever have you, but do you feel like in today's, uh, today's world, today's society, today's media, that's more important than ever to be likable. Cause there are options. If you're kind of a dick, People are just going to go somewhere else because there are options now. It's a they good question. 20 I,
0: I, years ago. I don't know because I think some of the people who are really polarizing are just, you know, they're, they're the ones that are really successful as well, right? That they're not liked, you know, I mean,
1: yeah, give me an true. example.
0: Colin Coward is, you know, really polarized, but how about Clay Travis, for example, right? I mean, that's a really polarizing type of guy, but yet here he is every day. He's, 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 he's making news for something and people are listening to him and people are reading this stuff. I'm not saying I agree or disagree with anything. Any of these people say or right, but you know, I think that there's there's a couple of ways to go about it here. For me, it's important. For me personally, it's important. And I think I would say this because I I just, I I got into this business not just because I love sports, but because I love people. I really do. Mm-hmm. Like I love interacting with people about sports. That's important for me. So that's part of my brand, which is I'm going to interact with people. And if I'm going to interact with people, then, you know, it's it's incumbent upon me to be a nicer person. It's incumbent upon me to be respectful to those people. Do I Am I always perfect at that? No, of course not. You know, I've had times and instances where I've acted like a jerk on Twitter to somebody and then I've realized I just acted like a jerk to somebody or I've been on air and I treated a caller poorly. It happens. I've been in this business a long time. Nobody's perfect. We all don't have perfect days, right? But at the but I think for me, it's important. I want to be liked. I'm just a guy who wants to be liked. I, it makes me feel good. But I think for me, I understand the importance of the interaction to the people, because that's just who I am and why I got in this business. For some people, it's not the case. Some people just got into this business just to talk about sports or just to write about sports. They don't care about that other stuff. And that's okay, right. but that's not me. Right. That's not who I am. I, I'm I'm a people person. And I know how when I was young, the people in this business who gave me the time of day, I really respected. And there were other people who blew me off. And I never want to be the second person to somebody, right? If someone right. says, can you do this for me? I got like three other podcasts lined up over the next couple of weeks, or I think you're the the uh, second one and another one coming up, people just reach out. They go, Hey, can you be on my podcast? I have no idea who these people are. And I'm like, sure. Like I'll do that. Let's figure out a time because I think it's important for me to show how much I appreciate what they're trying to do as well. If, you know, all that, if all that makes sense
1: to you. Oh, it makes perfect sense to me. Uh, Desmond on Facebook wants to know, do you have any routines or rituals that you do either before you're on the air at the studio or before you start reporting for a Bill's game? And I'm assuming he means. Being on the sideline, again, not 2020 with Kobe going on, but just generally speaking. Do you have any routines or rituals before games? Only Anything one, like actually. I, had...
0: I do. I have one. And it's kind of funny. It's a bit, a bit of a, I think, corny thing in some ways. But given what I just said to you, you'll you understand too. So every game I've ever been on the sidelines for, going back to the first game I ever did was um, the Bears opener, Fred Jackson stiff arm, right? You know, the, the uh, overtime mm-hmm. game. 2014. And because that preseason is when I started doing it, I actually was on the sidelines for two preseason games at home. And then that was my first real game on the road, whatever, first regular season game. Anyway, that game was the first game this started. I kind of did it just out of wow. And now I, and then I started doing it every week, which is this during the national anthem, I stand at attention. But you know what I do, Pat? Hmm. I look around the entire stadium and I do a 360. And I say to myself, I can't believe I'm in the NFL. I do that. Yeah. I say, I cannot believe I have this life. And it reminds me to not take my position or job for granted and do the best damn job I can that day.
1: Uh, Phil Muni from Twitter. This is a stupid question, but I'll read it anyway. Who's was the first person. Seattle would give a stone cold stunner to if he had the chance. If you don't want to say someone, can I take that stunner and I'll give it to John Warhol and you can give it to someone else.
0: No, oh, I, that's wouldn't, question. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to any of my colleagues.
1: Uh, All right. I, I wouldn't
0: say uh, anything to my, about...
1: Nah, I, I don't
0: know. I'm not, that, I'm not that kind of
1: guy. I'm not that kind of guy. I know I you're know. not. No sale cold stunners no. to anybody. All right. Brian Cousins from Twitter. Elementary school lunches. Buy lunch? Did you buy lunch? Did you have a tin lunchbox or a brown bag? And if it was a tin lunchbox, what was the theme?
0: Oh, man. I can't remember the theme. I had a tin lunchbox, and I had one of those lifts for the uh, thermos. Remember the lifts? You had to lift Mm -hmm. a little, uh, the, yeah, yeah, it was like a U shaped type of thing. Um, (laughs) had one of those. I remember I couldn't wait to start taking a brown paper bag because like, that's what all the uh, older cooler kids did was take the brown paper bag. You didn't take the lunchbox anymore. Like I remember that transition when that happened and then it was, oh yeah, I want to buy my lunch. Ooh, they got pizza and they got tacos. I need to buy my lunch. I started doing that a little bit later, but I think when I was in elementary school, it was a lunchbox and I would say probably. Probably Star Wars. I mean, not that I was like this huge Star Wars fan, but it's probably what would have been on my lunchbox. Um, Something like that. I can't remember. I don't think it was sports, Uh, but I probably would tell you Star Wars would be the first thing that would jump out at me.
1: I think I had a Family Ties lunchbox, which by the way, I was way too old for to be. I know that would have put me at like 13, 14 years old, but I do kind of remember that. (laughs) like first or eighth grade or freshman year in high school. All right, I got two more for you, man. These are two good ones too. Uh, uh, Steve Brewers from Facebook wants to know, what sport do you see Max growing up to like the best? Okay, so like or play? Like there's two different things here He's, because he, I think he these he are, said like, but you, yeah, you can explain them both. The question was like, sure. but yeah, by all means, explain both ways.
0: Um, I think he'll grow up liking, like watching, um, maybe hockey. He, he really loves to watch hockey right now. Um, he loves to watch baseball. He kind of loves to watch every sport. So, I'm not sure, but I I probably would say hockey is one because he likes going to games. Like, he really likes going to Sabres games. So, that's probably what he'll like watching. But I'm going to tell you, and I'm not, you know, I I don't know. Like, maybe he will eventually stink. But Max, I think, is going to be a really good lacrosse player. He's very good for six years old. He's, yeah, he plays uh, in a local youth league here, Buffalo Youth Lacrosse. It was supposed to be for first and second graders, but I got him in as a kindergartner uh, last year. And, you know, he was small and he was, um, young and he was kind of getting beat up on a little bit. And then he goes back out there this year and you could tell already like how much he's grown and he's one of the better kids out there and he's still got another year before he's one of the top ages, you know? So I think, um, you know, they had a little scrimmage at the end. They actually did do some practices eventually. They didn't do games this year because everything, they did some practices and then they did a little scrimmage at the end. And he was the only one, he got two shots off. He hit the goal post on one. Nobody else even got a shot off basically, which was great. Yeah. But no, I, I think he's very courty. He loves floor hockey um, he's very coordinated. I think he's going to be a pretty, he's going to be a good athlete, but I think lacrosse is where he's going to probably be the best as far as a player. I think what he likes watching hockey the most.
1: When you were his age, did you have a clear cut favorite sport? Oh, I was a football guy.
0: I love the yeah. Sabres. I love the Sabres. I was a football guy since I was a very, very young boy. Uh, I remember loving the bills, loving football. I started playing tackle football in third grade. I was on the 50 pound team. I'm sorry. the wow. I was on the 65 pound team. I weighed 50 pounds. I was on the 65 pound team of Chitawaga Little Loop football. I was in third grade and they used to let me weigh in with all my pads on because I still wasn't overweight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, last question here. I like this one too. It's from Lucky to Be Here on Twitter. He says, Many years ago on, uh, on the Buffalo range, he's talking about the message yeah. board. I remember Coach Sale C. Were you all over the Bills' internet back then or just there? I know the answer to that. But either way, it's cool to see how your future unfolded. Not a question, really, but maybe it'll spark some nostalgia. Well, Let's end with that one. Reflect on that a little bit. Our, you know, our online friendship, mine and yours, dates all the way back to those days. Uh, yeah. that was an important part, part of your path to get to where you're at. I think it was like a a it was the grassroots stuff that you did on some of those message boards that I think really at least helped you make a name for yourself. I'll even tell
0: you how I found a message board. I remember it. I remember the day it happened. So um, there was this uh, website called billsinsider.com or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh, I've done radio. I've done like, I I've done some writing like, Oh, I'd like to write about the bills. Just like it'd be pretty cool. Right. And, um, I got in contact with them and I started writing. So I wrote a column about Travis Henry and who would have been, who would have been like the person he'd be battling for carries with at the time. Marshawn. No, let me say who would have been Travis mm. Henry. Oh, let's see maybe around Oh two, maybe. Let me see who that, let me, I'm going to hold on. Cause I'm going to find it right here she so
1: o- <laughs> so said that my mind started racing oh two that, would right. have been
0: travis henry and no i can't think about it. maybe they drafted marshawn who was anyway so i write this article about the bills running back situation and it had to do with whoever that was travis henry marshawn lynch i think it was willis McGahee. maybe i don't even know so i'm i'm looking at
1: john bryson yeah no it was like i think Sean it was McGahee maybe
0: because they had drafted him you know first round or whatever but either way oh okay so I write this article about it. I remember looking at it. And at the bottom, it had this link. It said, talk about this article with fans. And I'm like, "Like, what's this thing? And I, I clicked it. And it took me to the Buffalo Range message board. And I'm like, I have no idea what this is. But all these fans are talking about my article. And like, oh, I wrote the article. I'm going to log in and, t- and jump in on this. And it just kind of evolved from there where I realized what a message board was. And yeah, I mean, I just – it was always – it was always fun, but there was there was always an ends to the means for me too. You know what I mean? There was always sure. an end to the means. I mean, which was, I was doing this because I'm also like, I'm, I was kind of evolving in my life and what I was doing. And even though I was teaching and I didn't see myself necessarily leaving teaching, I was always keeping that door open to be in the media. And it goes back to what we said. I'm a people person. I'm interacting with people. And this was how I kind of got my name out there. And I will tell you, there are people in this industry, in this business who know me and gave me a shot because they read stuff from me on message boards at the time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I that. absolutely.
1: At salesports on Twitter. By the way, that should be one of your goals for this year. You're, you're hovering right around there, man. You're right around 93,000. Get up to 100 G's. I got to catch Joe B. I think he's got, I think Joe B, I
0: think is the, has the most of any Buffalo media member. And I think <laughs> I'm second. I think Joe B's yeah. at one Oh one. He's over. You well, he only got me by about eighty-seven thousand. <laughs> That's it. Though. I think Joby. I think it wasn't. It was about within the last year. I think I passed Jeremy. I think Jeremy might be number three. But in but yeah, Jeremy's eighty-five. I think within the past year I passed him. So Joby's got one hundred one. I got ninety-two, almost ninety-three. Jeremy's at eighty-five. So I got a little ways to go to Joe, but I, he's number one.
1: <laughs> All right, head sales sports on Twitter, of course. Check him out, WGR five fifty. Dude, thank you so much. I, I I really appreciate you. Like I said, I bring you out for. uh the episodes that are significant to me because you're a very significant guest and you were the first guest I ever had on this podcast when I decided I was going to do this. I wanted to have you on the first episode. So thanks as always, man. I always appreciate you.
0: Anytime, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. I I, I owe a lot to you to get my name out there as well. So thank you.
1: All right, folks, that is going to do it for today's episode Very, very big thank you again. One more time, Sal Capaccio, WGR 550. Without question, one of my favorite guests. That was a fun interview, man. I love getting a chance to talk beyond just Buffalo Bills, a more personal side of Sal and just a likable guy, man. I appreciate him, appreciate his time. So thank you very much, Sal. Thank you to all of you for listening. Again, 250 episodes. I wouldn't still be doing this if it wasn't for fans listening and giving me feedback and enjoying the podcast, enjoying the guests that I've had, enjoying the conversations. You guys are the reason I do this, and I I just, I can't thank you enough. I'm blown away, I really am, I'm blown away by all of you. So, thank you very, very much. Please, 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 please stay safe. Do the right thing, do what you're supposed to do, and hopefully we'll get back to a more normal society a lot sooner than later. On that note, thank you again for listening We'll be back with brand new episodes next week.